Hello, hello, and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today on the show, a true long-awaited show, a crossover episode of sorts. We have Kinsey Grant, the host of Thinking is Cool and co-founder of Smooth Ops, though she's done a lot of other super impressive, really interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask her that much about. Kinsey Grant, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Alexis. This feels like such a long time coming. We have known each other for a very long time now, at least yes. in the, the podcast measurement <laughs> of time. It's like dog ears. It really is. I'm so excited to have you. Are you ready to dive in? I am so ready. I can't wait to talk about anything but work. I feel like it's all I talk about and I am just so thrilled. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Pilot.com. Founders and entrepreneurs, fasten your seatbelts. Your startup is ready for takeoff. Pilot handles your startup's finance, accounting, and tax prep needs so you can be free to focus on what's most important, building your business. Now that's first-class service if you ask me. I'm I'm going for a plane theme um, because of Pilot. You get it. When you work with Pilot, you have a dedicated team of US-based accounting experts and fractional CFOs ready to support you at every stage of your hyper-growth company. And these aren't just any US-based accounting experts and fractional CFOs. They've run the financial back office for thousands of startups, including Airtable, Scale.ai, and Lattice. Plus, all of your favorite financial tools like Stripe, QuickBooks, and Brax integrate with Pilot, so everything is kept effortlessly up to date and is organized as a well-packed carry-on. Non-technical listeners get 20% off their first six months. Learn more at pilot.com slash non-technical. Kinsey Grant is a journalist first, a creator second, and an entrepreneur literally last. She's the host and creator of Thinking is Cool, a podcast, newsletter, and community designed to make your next conversation better than your last by celebrating complicated ideas, seeking nuance, and engaging in thoughtful discourse just for the fun of it. In addition to Thinking is Cool, Kinsey is the co-founder of Smooth Operations and Creator Services, a new media startup designed to help content creators build and scale their own businesses. At Smooth Ops, Kinsey serves as the chief creative officer, a fancy term for the person who helps creators strategize their long-term content ambitions, but mostly just ends up editing everyone's emails. She got her start as a stock market reporter at The Street before transitioning permanently, she thinks, to the startup world by joining Morning Brew as employee number five in 2018. While at Morning Brew, Kinsey wrote the daily newsletter, launched and edited several new offshoot newsletters, and created, built, and hosted The Brew's first original podcast, Business Casual. She lives in New York City. Kinsey Grant, welcome to Non-Technical. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's always interesting to hear your own bio read to you. Yes, you really have to yes. confront all of the things that you think <laughs> are important about yourself. And I that's just right. in lives in New York City because I feel like that's what authors do. But I don't right. have like a dog or kids to say that I live with. So it's like lives in a very tiny apartment in New York City. <laughs> Alone. <herself>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. It's usually like she lives with her husband and 18 children in their cabin in upstate New York. And it's just like uh, she lives alone. <laughs> she hung a mirror once. And yeah, exactly. She's really proud of it. <laughs> and it's still up there. So she's got that going for her. Well, I'm super excited to have you on today. I became familiar with your work. I do think it, over a year ago, it was definitely when you were doing business casual. And then we were introduced by our wonderful mutual friend, Josh Kaplan. Yes, Josh, the networker to end all networkers. He knows oh everybody. Oh my God. And he is he the really best does. at setting up friends. He's the best at setting up friends. And also, he's the reason why I have the best podcast editor in the world, Anthony, because yeah. my first idea was that I would edit the podcast myself. And Josh said, why? <laughs> yeah. Josh is great at, at coming in with the perfectly timed why. I had a similar yeah. experience. And thank God for Anthony. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> It's so true. Josh has brought a lot of great people into my life, and you're certainly no exception. We got to meet in person for the first time this summer, which was cool. Yes, it was cool. It's It Loved was one that. of those very pandemic experiences where mm -hmm. I hadn't seen so many of those people who were, we were at a dinner party, and all of a yes. sudden, it was all of these people from the internet who had faces and yeah. like, legs. And, and bodies attached to those faces. <laughs> I know. I was like, wow, 3D. Love to see it. So I want to start here. Tell me how you spent your last day off. So I think that the, the last day that I took off of work, an official day of, of PTO, was to go visit my lifelong best friend who I have <gasps> known since I was a child. She has a baby, which is ah, crazy. And yes. it was the baby's first birthday. So oh my I gosh. took a day off and flew down for Graham's first birthday party, which oh was very Oh my exciting. gosh. And you're from? I'm from 
Florida. We grew up as yes. neighbors. Our houses were next mm. to each other. <gasps> For real? Yes. That's so cute. That's like a TV show. It's a picture-perfect childhood friendship. And we became very close. And then her family moved to California. And it was like this life-altering moment. But we've stayed close. And she ended up actually marrying someone I went to college with. She came to visit me my freshman year of college. And met a guy. And now they have a kid and a kid on the way. So you're responsible. I'm responsible for the kid. I had to go to his birthday party. (laughs) I mean, you're the reason that this child was brought into the world. Yeah. They met at a frat party in a basement on the dance floor. Hell yes. He was in my racquetball class and she ah! was my best friend. And he was like, who's the girl you're with? And I was like, go meet her. And That's so funny. Wow. That virtually never works out. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it really is. My second couple I set up is about to celebrate their one year anniversary. So I think no that way. maybe I have a superpower in setting people up. I can't merely manage like my own love life. I mean, I can now, but for many years, I was very unlucky in love. And now I have this whole setup operation, the millionaire matchmaker. That's incredible. You know, maybe you just were practicing on other people and now you were able to really stick the landing for yourself. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I could finally see it for myself. (laughs) What has it been like having a best friend who has a kid? It's been very strange. It's a transition, right? I'm in the same situation, which is why I asked. I think it's a testament to our friendship, though, that you can be in such vastly different points in your lives and still, mm-hmm. like, understand each other and and mm-hmm. care to, to understand what's going on in each other's lives. Her name is Hannah, my best friend. I think it says a lot about Hannah as a person that she's dealing with things that are objectively so much more difficult than what <laughs> no. I'm dealing with, right? Like, <laughs> You can start a business, you can have a hard job, whatever, but like to raise a child is crazy hard and she still takes the time to to check in and to say like, how's work? How's life? How's everything going? Like, do you care? Do you really actually? And she does. And I think that that is incredible and has, I hope, set me up to understand how friendships change when you go through these life changes themselves. I'm in my late 20s. It's the norm that people are getting Mm -hmm. married and settling down and having (laughs) babies and like, this is life now. And I think I've gotten some good practice early on. Yes. Being from the South, having some Southern friends. Oh, right. Yeah. Their timelines are a a little bit more uh, accelerated than mine. Expedited timelines. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it's been fun. I mean, it's, it's cool to have a baby that you like care about that's not family that you can kind of oh, practice on, you know? 100%. Yeah. And he's cute. He's a really cute baby too, which that helps. helps a lot. That definitely helps. I am in a very similar situation in that one of my absolute best friends of 20 plus years just had a baby last year. And she also makes the time for my nonsense. And I'm like, you're rearing a life. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But she'll be like, like, how was the date? And I'm like, don't ask about my date. Like, come on. You're literally like bringing life into this world. (laughs) And I'm over here like, I got a different podcast this week, you know? (laughs) Yeah. The right people care about things that seem inconsequential, but are actually really important. Oh, wisdom. Very wise. Thank you. Oh, that was gorgeous. So have you ever been known as the something person? Like my friend Mara was definitely the math girl in high school, something like that. Could be school, could be work, could be your personal life. I don't know if I should go on the record saying this, but I was a horse girl growing up. Yes! Oh my God, you weren't going to disclose that? Fresh out of the gate. I can't believe it took us this long. (laughs) Tell me everything. It's something deeply embarrassing about who I am. But I was a horse girl and I have come to terms with it a lot in my adult years. Mm. For many years in my as a teen, in the post-horse girl life I was living, I was very insecure (laughs) about it. Mostly because I was very publicly a horse girl. Like not only would I go to the barn after school and did I look and dress like a horse girl and not a cool horse girl. I rode Western. So I was like the cowgirl kind of horse girl. Right. When you say you rode Western, what is the alternative? Dressage? Like English. Yeah. So English is what like the rich, fancy people in the Northeast ride. Okay. Amazing. Jumping and dressage and things like that. And I rode like the barrel racing kind of horses. Did you do that? I did not. I briefly toyed with the idea, but I am somebody who is pretty cautious in a lot of my life. And going that fast was a little unnerving. scary. But I have a brother, a half brother, who is actually a retired rodeo star. So (gasps) it runs in the family. I was destined to be a horse girl. It it had to happen. But I also was like the kind of horse girl who wore horse t-shirts to school. Like a shirt with a horse Mm -hmm. on it? Like pretending to be a horse. Like it was very... It was like the weird horse girl, not this is a whole cool new level girl. of horse girl. So yeah. Yeah. 
shirts with horses and then mm-hmm. jumping over things. You mean like you would catapult your body over something in the in the manner or style of a horse. We okay. had a, like on the playground, there were a bunch of benches in the back and the other yeah. horse girls whom I was friends with, of oh course. Oh my God, there was together. a pack. There was a pack there of was horse a pack girls. Of us. I'm so happy um, right now. Yeah, put on these like shows you know, horse shows that yeah. we thought were incredible. For each other? Or was there an audience? Well, mostly for each other, the horse shows. We did a reenactment of the Lizzie McGuire movie, which required the attendance of all of the second grade teachers. Well, of um, course. So that that happened. And that had an audience. But the horse yeah. shows were I mean, how, could, no how is that not going to have an audience? Yeah, it was amazing. It was literally what dreams are made of. That is... <laughs> Lizzie, Lizzie McGuire joke. Oh, God. Yeah, if you didn't catch that... <laughs> There's a lot to unpack here. I have a couple yeah. questions. First of all, how old were you in like peak horse girl territory? What was the age range? I started riding when I was probably six or seven years old. Really young. That's a little, that's a very little girl to be on a horse. Very little. My first horse was when I was seven. And my dad grew up with horses. Obviously, my brothers rode um, and yeah. I wanted to do it for like for as long as I could remember. I'd always loved horses. Mm. And I rode pretty consistently until probably high school. And that's when I I kind of quit. So that's a long time. It was like a good decade. Yeah. Yeah. A decade of my life spent at the barn. Yeah. I mean, that's a nice place. You had a horse. Were there many horses? I had two horses of my own. First was Blaze because he was oh. fast and I was seven. Oh. And then the second horse was Junior, who came named, but Junior was his name. Yeah. That's a nice name, too. I like the the literal name of Blaze. I was in charge of naming our yellow Labrador puppy when I was five, and that is how he ended up with the name Biscuit. Oh, perfect. Because he was small and looked Why like complicated? a biscuit. Why overthink things? I guess that was still in the area of my life where I wasn't overthinking everything to the point right. of just complete analysis paralysis. I was just like, oh, he's yellow biscuit. (laughs) We should mimic a lot more of the decision-making as a child, as adults. Yes. We really Yes. Okay. So you have Blaze. At some point, you also have Junior. A whole decade of being a horse girl. What stopped you? Well, then I got really into dance and school. Oh, okay. Um, and it was yeah. just, I mean, it was a lot. It's also like crazy expensive to have horses. It's so expensive. And full disclosure, there was an incident with Junior. My dad <gasps> has grown up, like I said, literally was yeah. raised on a, a cattle ranch and has always been around horses. And one day, Junior, he was just, he was a naughty horse. Like he had, oh, he really? was always up to something, like always scheming. He was one of those yes. horses who was like always yes. a little testy. I say, like, like you might know, <laughs> I don't know if you have any experience with testy horses, but... <laughs> My dad was like, get off. Let me let me try to, you know, rein him in, like teach him yeah. a lesson. Let's let's move past this. It was just like mm-hmm. a regular day at the barn. And he threw my dad pretty aggressively. <gasps> oh my God. He's fine. Junior ended up slightly breaking my dad's back. And I was just like, No. I don't think I want to do this forever. Of I'm course. in my prime. Like I don't yes. want this to happen. And obviously Junior went to go live uh with my brother, not at the yeah. glue farm, but right. he lived out the rest of his years very happily as a horse nobody rode. But that was kind of That's what what turned me very off. Very scary. I understand, yeah. of course. I only rode horses for I think a year. So it was n- I was never horse girl status, not even close. I had a video game about horses I really liked. That's maybe as close as I ever came. Yeah, they made some good ones. They really did. But in terms of riding, I can totally understand where something that traumatic, you're like, you know what? I'm going to dance. Yeah, yeah. Seems like a good time to dance. Also, full disclosure, being on the dance team in high school, I danced my whole life since I was like three and a half. I had been dancing in addition to the horse stuff. But I had a lot more, like there's a lot more cachet involved with being on the dance team in high school. That was kind of the equivalent of the cheerleading team at my high school. So that was what got you status. Okay. Cool girl thing. Yeah. Okay. Did you feel like a cool girl? Never. (laughs) Never. But it sounds like you technically, you were on, you were in the echelon. I grew up in a decently small town and I went to the same school my entire life, pre-K through my senior year of high school. And so a lot of the same people who I'd known since I was four were stayed at least a little bit close through high school. And yeah. I was always friends with the really popular cool kids. Sure. But I never really felt like one of the popular cool kids, yep. you know? Like, it okay. was just, we'd been friends for so long at that point. The thought of making new friends was uh, just too much to take on. Yes, so we stayed definitely. friends out of convenience, partially. Mm-hmm. And so I was, like, invited to everything and was on the dance team and, like, knew all the cool kids, but never really felt at home with them. Sure. Like I never, I always felt like I was trying to be something else. Um, Mm. And that's a a theme that has persisted. 
Wow. I mean, that's true. I totally understand. It sounds like you flew pretty close to the sun in terms of coolness. It's interesting that you never felt like that was your place. Yeah, I really didn't. I think back on my time in high school, especially being really frustrated with the decisions that the people who were my friends were making. And again, my best Ooh. friend, Hannah, the one with the baby, one yeah. who, she moved across the country. She was in California. Right. So this Hannah's not included in this. Yeah. Hannah made great decisions. We can only assume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go ahead and say that. <laughs> But I remember thinking that the closest relationship that I had was with my English teacher, which is totally dorky and embarrassing and so cliche. But she was the person who impacted me most during that time in my life. And I would like spend my lunch in her room, not sitting with the cool kids every day. Like she was the person who introduced me to a love of books and also to like feminism as a concept. It came from a very conservative family and... All of a sudden, I had this teacher who was childless by choice, dressed Mm -hmm. really cool. She was, like, in Mm. her 50s when she was my teacher. She was crazy smart. She studied at Oxford. Like, she had everything going on. Yes. And she opened my eyes in a lot of ways to this world that I didn't know existed. And I'm really grateful for it. Dr. Scott. Dr. Scott, hell yeah. Thank you. She's responsible for this interview today, in fact. She is. She is. The reason it's a cliche is that these people can have such a huge impact on the lives of people who then go on to pursue careers like this. My English teacher from ninth grade, who I was also very close to, he randomly emailed me the other day and was just like, hey, cool stuff. Been watching. And I was just like, hell yeah, Mr. Richmond, you know? <laughs> Mr. Richmond is all of the validation you could ever need. You know? Yeah, like that, 100%. It feels so Because he also directed the plays. Oh, so it was like we had mm-hmm. that bond going on. Yeah. yeah. But it means a lot when somebody, especially at a young age, takes you a little bit seriously and is willing to treat you as an adult. It was everything to me. And I think that I have often thought, what would it be like to go graduate school and become a teacher yeah. and like, I have these grandiose visions of what it would be like to be like the cool young English yes, teacher. Yes, that could be you. You could be the Dr. Scott of someone's school. And I would love to if I were just a little more patient. <laughs> Was she very patient? Yeah. And she taught the advanced AP lit and advanced English classes, but she still had to interface with like high schoolers every day. You have to have mm-hmm. some semblance of patience that I think I am lacking, at least at this point in my life. Mm. But maybe in an alternate universe, I would have been an English teacher. Oh, yeah, or maybe in the future. Yeah, you never know. Who knows? Could be a Careers, part two. Second of this act, career. third act, yeah. yeah. Do you think you would ever go back to being a horse girl? Oh, you know, when I'm around horses, it's like nothing has changed. I revert really? immediately. Yeah, I still love horses. They just, yeah. they don't play a regular role in my life. But I'm going to Wyoming in the summer, <gasps> and Ugh. all I care about is getting on a horse. Really? Yeah. Oh my God, that's going to be so, so long. I know. I'm very excited. When was the last time? Probably about a year ago. Usually okay. when I'm home in Florida, I'll like find my way to a horse, believe it or not. But yeah, it's been a while. I'm out of practice. I love the idea of you in Florida as like almost a Disney princess-esque character that has this power to like summon horses to her. <laughs> yes. Like I find my way to a horse. They find me, you they know. They find me. <laughs> you know, I don't really have to try that hard. <laughs> right. You just sort of walk out the door like Belle in the beginning of Beauty and yeah. the Beast and a horse just sort of appears. It's true. That's great. Do you have a catchphrase or other words or phrases that you use a lot and people think are specific to you? Yes, I very much do. (laughs) I can't wait. I am a big fan of the catchphrase, that's showbiz, baby. Oh, hell yeah. There's never a time where it feels inappropriate. You know, like (laughs) it, it, it always feels like it punctuates every sentiment so specifically well. Like, Something shitty happened. Oh, sorry. Something bad happened. No, you can curse. <laughs> okay. I don't care. <laughs> Nobody cares. Something happens. It's good, bad, neutral, whatever. That's showbiz, baby. You know, like, well. Oh, well, yeah. It's showbiz. Hey, Some- accidentally cursing on the pod. Look, that's showbiz, that's, baby. Look, that's showbiz, you know? <laughs> it's actually, I believe so strongly in the the religion of that's showbiz, baby, that I put it on my Hinge profile back when I was <gasps> a, a Hinge user. And people really? just ate it up. Because it's so That is accurate. hilarious. Does it apply to aspects of life that are not showbiz related? Totally. Okay. I can't think of anything that it doesn't apply to. You burn your toast. Yeah. That's showbiz, baby. That's showbiz, baby. What are you going to do? This is an incredible catchphrase. I'm going to try this one on for size and see how it goes. It feels good. It already feels great. As soon as you said it, I was like, yes, that is showbiz, baby. I'm a big fan. Okay. I'm assuming once I start using it, people are going to be like, whoa, Alexis, with the new catchphrase. And I'll be like, I can't take credit, folks. I can't. Do you have a catchphrase? 
I have a couple things that I I know that I say a lot, and I would mm-hmm. say it's also been brought to my attention. Notably, who's to say is who's a big one, which can also be applied to most aspects of life. I agree. <laughs> I like that one. I think that one fits a lot of situations as well. Look, that's showbiz, baby. Okay, that's showbiz, baby. <laughs> Is there a fad, and this could be something fashion-y or workout or cultural that you look back on participating in that in retrospect makes you a little cringy? I have bought into a lot of social media trends, like Twitter specifically. Oh. In the world that I occupy, Twitter is a huge part of life. And and I think yes. a lot of people have accepted Twitter as a perfect interpretation of life. But the older I oh. get and the more experience <laughs> I accumulate, I realize that that is so totally false. But for a very long time, <laughs> I believed Twitter as the ultimate gospel. And now I really it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people still do, you know, that, you know, we we joke about well, Twitter's not the real world. I don't think mm. people realize just how not the real world Twitter actually is. I would say it's extremely not the real world. Yeah. As much not the real world as you can really get. <laughs> That's fascinating. Wow. Hmm. Well, welcome back to the real world for sure. I'm happy to be here. And I I guess now (laughs) I hope I'm not going to look back on this interview in five to seven years and say, I can't believe I said that because at that moment, TikTok was my real world. (laughs) (laughs) Is TikTok going to be not the real world? Probably. Yeah. It's also definitely not the real world. But you know, who's to say? Who's to say? See? Not me. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly not I. Okay, let me ask you this. What is the tiniest hill that you're willing to die on? So something inconsequential that you would just really go to bat for. Okay, so as an avid fan of non-technical, I I knew that this question might come up. (gasps) I am somebody who has a lot of strong opinions about inconsequential things. And so I was trying to Do you? Oh, yes. I am an opinionated person. For a journalist, I'm a very opinionated person. I was trying to think Great. what is the ultimate small hill I would want to die on. Yes. Ever since I got your first email asking about the show, it has been plaguing me trying to figure out what I would choose. And it, oh boy. I have come to realize that so many of them have to do with food. Oh, <laughs> really? Is, yeah, like perhaps a bit embarrassing. Like No, not at all. I don't know. If you don't sauerkraut, then like you're a child. Oh, wow. I love coming in hot with a strong take. I love it. <laughs> Ketchup on your hot dog is a juvenile decision instead of mustard. Oh, my God. Instead of mustard. Okay. Yeah, I'm a pro-mustard person just in general. But then I was thinking that, you know, I was like going through my apartment, walking around this morning, thinking about the <laughs> tiny hills that are evidenced in my apartment. And the most obvious yes. is that my Christmas tree is still up. It's not a real tree because I live in New York. Kinsey Grant. I know, I know. I know. But I realized that maybe this is the hill I'm willing to die on because... I am somebody who listens to Christmas music or holiday music year round, and I find it to be something that, yeah, like soothes me, puts me in a really positive headspace. It makes me happy. And I think that the small hill that I would die on is that it's okay to listen to Christmas music or any holiday music or participate in any holiday celebration, paraphernalia, et cetera, whenever you want, if it makes you happy. Wow. That is my final answer. Woo! Okay, let us dive in. I am thrilled about this hill. So first question is, has Christmas been a big deal in your family? Yes, very much a big deal. Okay, so you have lots of holiday traditions and stuff or gatherings? We do. We do have some very strange traditions, one of which we were, I was actually discussing with my cousin last weekend, was this Mm. um, Christmas march. I have never had a Christmas without it. My dad has always led this Christmas march around the house. Okay. No idea. Oh, it's around the house. Oh, I thought it might be outside. Okay. Well, it it includes outside as well, but we, you know, like the whole family comes over for Christmas dinner. You eat Christmas dinner. And at some point during the night post-dinner, all of a sudden, my dad would blare like Rodgers and Hammerstein and all of a sudden start like marching around the house. And we all yes. have to file in in like a conga line and follow my dad on this like grand march up the stairs, down the stairs, over the beds, outside, around the backyard, like all of Oh my all God. Of that. I have chills. A weird tradition that the whole How family fun. has always participated in. But yes, we're, we're obviously, I come from a long line of, of Christmas fanatics. So is it always to the same song? Is there a March song? It's a pretty long March. It's usually like (laughs) at least 10 minutes, I would say. Um, So it it spans several songs, but it's always like Christmas, Trans-Siberian Orchestra vibes, like big, momentous Christmas music. 
That sounds so fun. Yeah. Okay. I'm starting to understand why at multiple times during the year, you would want a little taste of that Christmas magic. Yeah, it's great. And I I also, Christmas just makes me, I don't know, it's like Thanksgiving, you never know who you're going to see family wise, Mm -hmm. but Christmas is like pretty clear cut. I know who I'm going to see and I know Mm. I'm going to see a bunch of my family members. And I think that is part of why it's so happy to me. Yeah, definitely. But also it's just like fun. It's a fun time of the year. I make no apologies. And you shouldn't. And where I really agree with your hill is that this is such a harmless activity to engage in that does just does not harm anyone else and it makes you happy. So yeah. how could we not support something that meets that criteria? We do need to discuss the fact that your Christmas tree is still up. I know. Talk me through this. So it's not a real tree, which I understand because if it was a real tree, it would, it would be, be it would have hazard. perished. Yes. 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 This would be, a, you would be telling me I have a pile of sticks in my yeah. home. <laughs> that, yeah. that would be that. So what's the deal? <laughs> my family has always kept our Christmas trees up for a very long time. And I don't know, I just, I got in the practice of doing it. I think the longest we ever made it was to Valentine's Day one year, which was far too long. Yeah. But I just like the ambient light. So you still turn it on. The lights are on. Yeah, it's on right now. Are there ornaments on it still? There are about five ornaments on this tree. I don't have a huge ornament collection. I am in the process of building an ornament collection, which is something that I've always wanted to do. Oh, wait, you got an incredible gift this year. You got one of the coolest gifts. You posted a photo of it on Twitter ornament related. And I think, I I don't even know if I texted you or I commented it, but it like blew my mind. I thought it was so clever. It was very clever. I, um, I was part of an ad campaign for the investing app public. And some of the ads were in an out of home campaign and some of them were on cabs throughout the city. So it was like a picture of me on top of cabs throughout New York city, which was pretty Yes, I've seen them many times. Every time I do, I'm just like, ah, (laughs) <laughs> no, me too. My boyfriend's mom was in New York and she kept seeing them. And so for Christmas, she sent me an ornament that she had found a taxi cab ornament, printed out a picture that she had taken on her phone, cropped it to just be the ad, printed it out, laminated it and hot glued it to the or- cab ornament. And so I have a cab with my photo oh. on it perfectly to scale on my Christmas tree. And that's one of the five? And that's one of the five, yes. You barely need any others when that's on there. I know, exactly. I have that one. I have an ornament of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have a cowboy boot that my boyfriend got me. And sure. Oh, so you he's aware the horse girl history has been disclosed. Yes. yes. And he's okay. Very much disclosed. Okay. He's he's cool with it. Uh, And Mm. then I have a gin (laughs) bottle and a bourbon, like a little bourbon ornament. Oh, okay. Those came from my boyfriend. They, he, I don't know where the hell he got those, but. Are you a big gin drinker? No, I hate gin, actually. Oh. Okay, so he did not get the same gift-giving gene no, that his mom no. has. <laughs> he, uh, he like, had them for some reason in his apartment, and he didn't have a tree. And so he gave them to me to hang on my tree. And I'll accept them because gin has very Christmassy vibes. As that's it. it is that, a, that and bourbon, of, too. Yeah. 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 That's my ornament collection as of right now. Wow. Okay. And so do you think that you'll continue to build this collection up over time? I hope to. That really appeals to me, the idea of over time slowly having meaningful ornaments that then you have them all on a tree. That sounds really nice. Yeah. And the the ritual of unpacking the ornaments to put on the tree every year, mm. even though I've seen the same gingerbread man with my preschool picture on it, yes. you know, how many years every year, it still is fun. And I would love to have that someday. If I ever have a family, I would love for that to be part yeah. of the tradition. I agree. That sounds so nice. That is a huge plus one in the having a kid column is getting to experience certain holidays and traditions through their eyes. Yes, I agree. I often go back and forth about the concept of children in general, Mm -hmm. but I think that Christmas specifically is Mm -hmm. a pretty strong factor for me personally. I totally understand that. So do you have a date by which you'll be taking the tree down or is this just we're letting it ride? Do we have a strategy? Funny you should ask. I'm actually moving (laughs) sometime in the next two or three months. And so I think I'm just going to leave it up until I move. Like, why put it away? Mm. You know, like it's going to have to go back in the box eventually. But maybe I'll just wait until I have to box everything up to box the tree up. This is a logical argument that you're making. It's not illogical. It really is not illogical. Does it diminish the impact of the Christmas tree the longer you have it up? That's a fair question. I think as long as it comes down at some point during the year, no. Okay. But if you were to just truly let it ride right on through to December, 
you think the impact would be diminished. And you would miss out on, I always make it a big spectacle of like the the lighting of the tree, even though it's just literally <gasps> plugging something in. It's still a big deal. <laughs> That's so cute though. What a fun night. My That's family lovely. used to always have the same meal every night. We would decorate our Christmas tree every year. We would have oh, really? filet mignon and Caesar salad, like very oh, mid aughts you know? Yes. Now I feel like I have to mimic that tradition in some capacity in my own adult life. Of course. That's nice. It's nice to be able to take little pieces of home and growing up that meant something to you and bring them into your real life, your your more independent adult life, at least. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Wow, that's really lovely. Just keep me posted. I will. Let me know. Just, you know, for context for the listeners, it's already February. (laughs) It is. It is already February. Okay. It'll be a Valentine's tree. Why does this bother me? I'm like, it's her tree. Why am I bothered by this? It's understandable that you might be. But I I think this is part of like, this is why it's a hill that I I would go as far as to say it's a hill I would die on. Because for some reason, the affinity for Christmas 365 days a year, something that like deeply bothers some people. You know, mm. you say that you're listening to Christmas music in October and the yeah, first why thing does it that bother happens, me? people are like, why, why, why? Like, yeah. Because I like it. That should be enough, you know. You've definitely opened my mind a little bit on this topic because I understand why that is like what you want to feel. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the empathy. I support you and I still want to know when the tree comes down. That's I all. I just like, I will feel better knowing that at some point, It's going away. You will be my first text. Thank you. (laughs) Is there a song that whenever you hear it takes you back in time to a specific moment or memory? Yes, there are are many. I am somebody who has a lot of very specific memories, often marked, number one, by what I was wearing, and number two, what the music of the moment was. Yes, those are things I have a, a serious penchant for remembering. Are you are you able to remember, oh, this took place and I was wearing XYZ? Yes. Yes, I am. Really? That's a specific thing for some people, right? Yeah. My mom is the same way. She just like always remembers what she was wearing during big life moments. And I, I guess I have taken it on as well. But I was listening to a playlist on Spotify the other day that I found on TikTok mm. and it was called Put Your Mom Jeans On. And it's a playlist that's all songs that you probably would have heard like for women now, like millennial women when you were a child from oh. like your mom or the radio or like, yeah. I don't know if you're ever familiar with Delilah. Like Delilah, she had this radio show where she you would call in and tell a love story or like a heartbreak story oh my and gosh. she would pick a song for you. And it's just all these Delilah songs. And I was listening to the song, I Hope You Dance by Leanne Womack. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, immediately, I was back in fifth grade getting the CD really? for like a graduation present. You know, this is like the cusp of teen years. And I remember it so clearly. And then I would say like any Taylor Swift song ever, I can pinpoint mm. exactly the first time I heard it. It was probably with my sister or virtually with my sister. And those are big emotional touch points for Yes. Me. And you're a big Taylor Swift fan generally, right? Yes. Famously a, a very big Taylor Swift fan. I am. I remember when Red, before Red Taylor's version, Red, the mm-hmm. initial version came out. Mm-hmm. My sister had just graduated college and was living at home for a year. And it was my senior year of high school. Oh. I had my sister back in the house after four oh. years. And that album came out. And we used to go to the infrared sauna place in our town. And oh we would God. sit in the sauna together and... Like, of course, we, yeah, we could talk or we could try to sing all too well without any music. Like, see if we can oh remember my God. all the lyrics, which oh at the my time God. was quite the challenge. So. Well, and now even more so. Now you've got 10 whole minutes. <laughs> I know. Double it. <laughs> we used to do that. And that is a, a core memory of my relationship with my sister. That is so sweet. Yes. I'm also a big Taylor Swift fan. I don't think I'm famously a Taylor Swift fan, perhaps in the way that you are, <laughs> but I'm a huge fan of her music. Is there a favorite song or favorite album or favorite era of T-Swift? This is an incredible question. And my sister lives in Atlanta. And so we I always mm. fly into Atlanta and we drive home together for holidays. Mm. And our tradition is to go through all of the albums. And that's all we do. We just listen to as many Seriously? albums as we that's can. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you start, you start and you go chronologically? It depends because she doesn't have all the CDs in her car. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, we only listen to the CDs. Um, But we always hit like the classics, you know, but she asked me what my top five Taylor Swift songs were. Whoa. Yeah. She tried to guess mine and I tried to guess hers, which was a fun game that we play. Yeah. And I really struggled to pick. I think that my favorite album is 1989, Mm -hmm. but my favorite Mm -hmm. song 
is probably, it's so hard to say. I'm a big yeah. fan, like, I think because of the phase I'm in in my life of her, like, more mm-hmm. lovey-dovey happy songs. I really um, like New Year's Day. That's up there for mm-hmm. me. But a lot of the songs on 1989 just are absolute, like, no-skip album, in my opinion. It's absolutely a no-skip album. I mean, 1989, I think, has the highest BPA in terms of, like, bangers per album, yeah, you know? totally. And I think that you can't even argue with that. But then there are certain songs on other albums that are so good, you're just like, oh my God, this is a great song. There were some songs on Lover that I absolutely adored. And I'll listen to, actually, I won't skip on Lover. Maybe there's two or three, but Lover I can listen to front to back and really enjoy. But 1989, you're just like, oh my God, the hits keep on coming. Yeah, it's true. The only song I skip on Lover is Soon You'll Get Better because it's just so sad. (gasps) Me too, because it makes me cry real legitimate (laughs) tears. And I'm like, I did not ask for this. I am cleaning my home, weeping. I was listening to Lover literally last night. Cruel mm. Summer has been my top played oh, song on so Spotify good. for two years running. I guess that would be my favorite song, at least in terms of number of plays. Mm, that is certainly okay. far and away the winner. Wow. Okay, I am pretty much only going to be listening to Taylor Swift today. Like, once I talk about her and talk about the catalog, it's just like, okay, well, that's what I'm listening to today. It's like decision made. I don't, why would I listen to anything else 100%. other than that and Christmas music? <laughs> Maybe if Taylor Swift drops a Christmas album, I could get behind it. The world would cease to... (laughs) What would you do? Would you... I mean, that would be... She probably should. I mean, she's had a couple of random singles. Like, when she was early in her career, I think she did, like, Santa Baby and then Christmas Tree Farm. But, like... (laughs) That's funny. Curious to hear your opinion as a fellow Mm. Taylor Swift fan. Mm -hmm. The, like, trope of you don't have original taste if you like Taylor Swift. And, like, to Mm -hmm. me, I think is an interesting experience in like how we glorify liking things that other people don't like and it's bad to like things that other people do like like that has always really stumped me why do we care so much it's it's not necessarily a conversation about originality it's just why do we want to like things other people don't Interestingly, I think my relationship to liking Taylor Swift's music has taken a different course for a different reason I think that when it comes to Taylor Swift, I did not like her music when it first came out. Mm -hmm. And I think I in part didn't like it for the reason you're describing, which is that it felt so poppy and mainstream that when her music first started getting popular, I think I was probably 14 or 15 or or 13, something like that, where it felt very like, oh, this is silly. This is like silly music that I'm not super into. And then I think that over the last few years, A, I think her music has evolved like a lot, like she's just become, you know, she's an artist. So she's evolved as an artist. Like her songwriting has gotten, I think, more interesting. It's also gotten more true to like what I'm experiencing as someone who is basically the same age as Taylor Swift. And then also I think we as a society have stopped writing off girl stuff as much as we used to. And I'm putting girl stuff in big quotes, but it used to feel like, oh, that's just like girl stuff. And now you're like, oh, that was wrong that we all thought that about everything that was pink. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think that that Taylor Swift is really emblematic of that universal like female experience in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And obviously my life Mm -hmm. could not be more different than Taylor Swift's, but the skill that she has... (laughs) Of communicating these universal feelings of like yes longing and frustration yeah. and like unrequited love like all of mm-hmm. these feelings that everybody you don't have to be Taylor Swift to to know them but she just speaks yes. to them so effectively that it's unbelievable she's brilliant at that and also somehow making what she's creating feel relatable even though like you said our lives are not yet. You know, maybe there's a day, Kenzie, where you, me, and Taylor are all, we're just hanging out. <laughs> we're I all on think that what level. it would be like. Yeah. What would I do if I saw her on the street? Do you think you would talk to her? I don't know. I never go up to celebrities. I don't think I ever could. I would, knowing what I know about the ways that her life has been pried open, I would yeah, respect her privacy yes, yes. as much as I could. But I would, like, internally and probably visibly externally have hmm. panic attack. I, think. I understand that. Yeah, I, yeah. I do understand that. Well, let's, I mean, look, we're just putting it out there into the universe. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. That's showbiz, baby. Okay. That, I mean, yeah. who's to say? That's, that is showbiz. Wow. I'm really excited that we got to talk about Taylor Swift. So <laughs> Me too. Much. It is shocking, or perhaps it's not shocking, how many times Taylor Swift comes into conversation for me in really totally, like nonsensical ways. Yeah. I think probably every interview I've ever done, I've somehow woven Taylor Swift. Really? That's amazing. Yeah. Not even on purpose. Well, also, I think, you know, re releasing Red 
recently has made her a hotter topic of convo. I've certainly been more interested as a result. I was also, before we are started recording this, was listening to a podcast episode. I was listening to an episode of Acquired, which is a show I love, and they did, like, the business of being Taylor Swift. So <gasps> Oh, my it's God. Like two and a half hours of Wait, I Taylor need to Swift listen story. to that, because the one thing that I wanted to make sure I said is that not only do I respect her a ton as a songwriter and an artist, but as a business person, I am really really impressed with her. And of course, I know she's a big team and I'm sure it seems like she's hired the right people to make sure that a lot of that stuff is handled. But I really don't think she would be where she is in the way that she is if it wasn't her brain and her strategy also coming up Mm -hmm. with a pretty significant part of that. Yeah, she's incredibly savvy. And the episode has confirmed that to me. Oh my God, I'm so excited to listen to that. That's so right up my alley. It's very good, yeah. Oh, wow. Kinsey, such a kinship on this. I love it. (laughs) This is a two-part question for you. Who would play you in a movie about your life? And should this movie be a biopic, so birth to present day, or should we focus in on a particularly scintillating chapter of the Kinsey Grant story? So this is something I have recently come to terms with. It's something I don't see myself, (laughs) but every time I post a TikTok, every single time, I get people in the comments saying, oh my God, you look so much like Emma Stone. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that I look that much like Emma Stone, but I guess when I had the bangs, maybe... So I guess maybe Emma Stone. And also in terms of her mannerisms of being a little jittery, a little Mm -hmm. awkward, Mm -hmm. um, she always kind of played like the friend who should have been more than just the friend. (laughs) It tracks. It tracks in a lot of ways. So maybe maybe Emma Stone. um, Yeah. In terms of like the actual character fit, I could see that. But the movie itself, I think that it would focus in on this period of my life. I, Fun. I have, yeah. I feel like this is this is one of those big ones. You know, I'm like 27. Okay. Yeah. This sounds hokey, but I'm a big fan of astrology and it's my Saturn return. Like 27 oh, is a big really? time in your life. Okay. Yeah, like I'm, I'm on the precipice of like major life changes. It feels like every okay. single day over the last mm. year. And I feel like this is the time when I'm making important decisions and when important things okay. are happening. And of course, that will continue to happen into my 30s and 40s and 50s and hopefully forever. But I yeah. feel like right now would be the time. Like most of my childhood was pretty normal. Yeah. Young adulthood, pretty normal. Yeah. Now is when it's really interesting. So wow. maybe the 20s, like that this decade. But I would also say that it is a great ambition of mine to someday publish a book. I collect these essays that I kind of like half write all the time. Yeah. And I would love someday to have the time and the space to actually finish a lot of them and mm. publish some nonfiction of my own that's like reflective essays of oh, my cool. 20s. Oh, my God. Yes. I think it would be cool to make like little vignettes if that ever got like, I don't know, optioned. <laughs> these are like yes. small vignettes of of what it is to be in this, you know, they call it the defining decade. Like, this is what it feels like to be here in this moment. And I want to hold myself to making sure I write everything down because Mm. it could be great someday. You know, these stories are universal in some ways, just like the music of Taylor Swift. But absolutely, that would be my hope. There's so much that I love about this. First of all, I do think Emma Stone is a great pick for all the reasons that you mentioned. Also, she's beautiful and super talented. So I think that she's, that's great. That's a great fit. The vignettes idea I really like. I feel like you should just do this. They could be a set of nine or a set of 10. You know, you could do 21 through 30 or you could do 21 through 29. Each one representing like, you could try to distill what it was about that year of your life and then what the themes are that are relatable to people at that age. I think that sounds really compelling. Thank you. And I think one of the best parts of it, the... I I keep saying like the older I get, like I'm very young by all... Mm -hmm stretches of the imagination. Yes. But the more life experience I accrue, yeah. the more I realize that in my early 20s, a lot of the stories that I would write down or these like defining moments that I would consider to be defining revolved around men of like people yeah. of the opposite yeah. sex and the ways that like my cursed love life was impacting everything else. <laughs> and now as I get older, I have so much more. My life is so much richer. Like, I yes. have other things that I care about and other relationships that I'm trying to nurture. And there's so much newness in my life. It's not just the like tired old sad love story. You know, like there's mm-hmm. there's more to it. And that's so exciting to me. That's really exciting. Vignettes aside, because that's legitimately a thing I just think you should do. The movie, are we thinking, what kind of genre comes to mind for you? I mean, Emma Stone, I think she's done drama. She's done a lot of comedy. The 20s, obviously, it lends itself to like a nice rom-com situation, but it sort of depends like how you want the movie to feel. Yeah, I think like dramedy 
Eh. Dramedy, you know, my favorite like, genre. Yeah, like it's serious, but there's a lot of levity where there needs to be. I think that a lot of funny things have happened to me and like I have lots mm-hmm. of random silly stories and I, I think that that's part of living. But it's also like it's been a tough go of it the last couple of yeah. years, like for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Yes. But I think it would be like a more serious, but still mm. light where it needed to be kind of a film. Well, then Emma Stone's going to be a good fit. Yeah, she's got I both. So. I'm very excited for this. Thank you. Now I just have to write. <laughs> yeah. You just have to write it and like get it made. I'll help. A whole bunch of stuff happened in my 20s. <laughs> I can help yeah, with this. <laughs> exactly. Everybody's got stories. And then we just need Taylor to do the soundtrack and we're off to the races. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine? I'm, I'm sitting here like staring off into space. Okay, in this hypothetical universe where there is a series of little vignettes that have been adapted from your short stories chronicling what it means to be in your 20s, I think one of the vignettes we could get Taylor yeah, to do a song. Yeah, I think so too. Kinsey, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. This episode of Non-Technical is still brought to you by Pilot.com. Pilot makes bookkeeping, budgeting, forecasting, and other finance needs easy. We all know tracking and managing financials is important, but bookkeeping and back office tasks may not be every startup's area of expertise, if you will. And when time is of the essence, you have to play to your strengths. If you're an entrepreneur looking for the freedom to focus on your business, Pilot just might be the service for you. Whether your startup is just starting out or scaling quickly, Pilot has your back. As the largest accounting provider for startups in the world, they've supported companies from pre-seed to Series D. Non-technical listeners get 20% off their first six months. Learn more at pilot.com slash non-technical. And we're back with Kinsey Grant, host of Thinking is Cool and co-founder of Smooth Ops. Kinsey Grant, I think you're a full name person. <laughs> Do people tell you Thank that? You. Like, I, th- I feel like I have to say your full name. I'll take it. Okay, so we've arrived at the lightning round. Are you ready? I think so. I hope so. Okay, Kin- <laughs> I believe in you. Know that I believe in you. <laughs> Thank you. Kinsey Grant, coffee or tea? Coffee. How do you take it? I take my coffee with half and half and I make no what? apologies. <laughs> I was looking at your face and I was like, why does she look like she's about to confess something to me? <laughs> because I'm, I'm a dairy girl. I know it's bad. But That's I, fine. I half and half I feel very strongly about. And then on the weekends, my family has like secret sugar. Like we always joke about like secret sugar where you just like dip your spoon in the sugar and put it in your coffee. And that's oh, that's just on the weekends for a special treat. A little treat, weekend treat. I say make no apologies. I think the fact that you have half and half is fantastic. I think live your truth on that one. Thank you. I appreciate the the vote. I I like how there's no shame about the fact that this Christmas tree is going to be up until July. But for some (laughs) reason, including the very mainstream coffee creamer option of half and half is a reveal. (laughs) It is. Now you know the real me. We know the real Kinsey. I truly support you. That sounds delicious. I hope that you have one today. Do you have a favorite board game? Uh, Scrabble. Oh, yeah. Well, because words. That makes sense. I, I do love them. I love words. You My love words. My family also plays a lot of Trouble. We're a big Trouble family. Oh, really? That was such a yeah. fun game. It was so much fun. So do you fun. also like Bananagrams? I know Bananagrams, but I've never played Bananagrams. Oh, for real? I actually mm-hmm. prefer it to Scrabble. Interesting. Okay. Yes. I need to get some Bananagrams. It's Scrabble adjacent in that you're manufacturing words out of tiles. But it's so much faster because it's not a turn-based game. Everyone is making their own board at the same time. Oh. And it's a race to who can use up all their tiles first. So a little bit more pressure in a good way. It's way more time pressure. There's no waiting around. And you get through rounds pretty quickly in just a couple minutes instead of sitting down to play like an hour-long game of Scrabble. All right. You sold me. I'm charmed. (gasps) We should play. Yeah, I'm down. (laughs) That'd be so fun. Well, listen to Taylor Swift and play Bananagrams. <laughs> a perfect, a perfect like weekend activity. An incredible day. You mentioned that there's a lot of work that's inspired you. Have you ever read a book twice? Yes. I have read some of Joan Didion's early work twice. Sure. And, you know, that was partially inspired by her passing earlier this winter. Mm-hmm, I'm a huge Joan mm-hmm. Didion fan. Um, I've read some of that twice. And then I have attempted lately to get back into some of the classics, like the high school kind of classics. Oh, okay. So I have on my pile of books to read um, Madame Bovary, which was one of my favorite books in high school, and The Beautiful and the Damned, which I have not read in a very long time. And are you hoping to find something different the second time around in these readings? I am. I am hoping to find something different, hopefully. I don't know. Maybe I won't. (laughs) What are you looking for? And maybe just having a little bit more perspective now than I did when I was 15 or 16, Mm -hmm. understanding interpersonal Mm -hmm. relationships a little better, I think could be a useful tool for 
newly interpreting works of literature. Literature. Yeah. Hmm. I love that. I think if I were to go back and reread a book I read in high school, I might want to reread Mrs. Dalloway again. I haven't read that Mm. in a long time. There are some good ones that I feel like, again, if I were to become a teacher in a second life, I would not want these, some of these books wasted on the youth. You know what I mean? Like, I understand there are classics that you're supposed to read, you know, Catcher in the Rye and like 1984 Mm -hmm. or whatever. But some of these books I wish I could have read for the first time with a little bit more understanding of the world around mm, me. I think I would world. have appreciated them. <laughs> yeah, I would have appreciated uh, yeah. them Yeah, oh God, there's like 50 books on that list for me where it's yeah. like, I read that when? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I still cared about what? Come on. I know. Um, do you have a pump-up song, a go-to song to get you excited about stuff? I am a big fan of putting the Spotify playlist. It's just all of Dua Lipa's discography, putting that on shuffle oh my God. and just like nice. letting the letting the fates decide for me. But most of her songs are incredible pump up songs. Okay, letting Dua Lipa take the wheel. Yeah, like levitating. Ah, great song. New rules. Those are my some of my tops. Yeah, they're bangers for sure. Yeah. Okay, last question. I think this might be a challenging one for you because I do feel like this is something that you might want to do at some point, but what would you title your memoir? I have been toying with the idea of, um, I I often have been like put into this box of business stuff because I covered business Mm -hmm. for so long and talking Mm -hmm. about the economy and like the stock market is a big part of who I am, at least to the outside world. Sure. And I have loved the idea of writing something that has to do with me being like a reluctant capitalist. Uh Oh! The reluctant capitalist something like <gasps> I don't, guide to whatever. I don't know. But that's, yes. that's how I, I picture myself. And I think that a memoir would probably reflect a good deal of that, at least an early memoir. And then I yes. would come back to write these stories of my 20s and title of that course. something entirely different. Absolutely. Yeah. I like reluctant capitalist. It almost sounds like Roxane Gay's bad feminist. Yeah. Yeah. It's got it has that vibe. kind of a vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay, I'm excited for that to hit bookshelves near all of us very soon. Kinsey Grant, <laughs> oh my God, what a pleasure having you on Non-Technical. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed this and I love the entire premise. It's just, it's so good to understand that people are dynamic and I appreciate the work that you're doing to, to help show people that. Oh my God, it's too kind. You know, there's really nothing to say except that's showbiz, baby. Kinsey, where can people find more about you online? You can go to any social media platform where I am (laughs) either reluctantly or excitedly contributing member. Um, Twitter is Kinsey Grant. Instagram is Kinsey R. Grant. Um, And I'm on TikTok as well. I think I'm, I don't even know. I think Kinsey underscore Grant. Mm. Search me. We can find you, I'm sure. And then Thinking is Cool is my podcast. And that's it. That's most and newsletter. People should and sign newsletter. up. Newsletter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Doing my promo for me. Thank you. I forget about you. the no, newsletter. I got you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay on Twitter and Instagram or at Non Technical Pod on Twitter. One more time, Kinsey. This was such a lovely way to spend an hour this morning. And I am so excited for we have a lot of plans. We got a lot of stuff. Bananagrams, Taylor Swift. A lot of bananas to gram. I cannot wait. I can't wait. Yay. Okay. Thank you again, Kinsey. Bye. Bye. Oh boy, I have a review to read. Ginny Hogan says, so informative and funny. Five stars. Alexis is a wonderful host and she gets incredible guests. Can't recommend this podcast enough. Aw, thanks, Ginny. And if you want to hear me read your review on the next episode of Non-Technical, go ahead and hop on over to Apple Podcasts, leave me a review. You know what? Toss a little corpse speak, a little tech lingo if you're feeling fancy and you might hear it on the pod. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.